0: Everyone, welcome to Faith in the Folds, podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today I had the privilege of talking with Stephanie O'Brien, a licensed professional counselor and director of the Upward Bound program at Harding University. I asked Stephanie about the spiritual challenges college students face, and the resulting conversation was a pretty sobering one. There was actually so much to talk about that about halfway through our conversation, we began to realize we would need another hour or so to finish. So, this episode is part one of two. Although there was a lot of reason to be concerned about and pray for Christian college students, Stephanie assured me that there is plenty of reason to have hope as well. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here on the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe to us, and maybe share us with someone you think might benefit from this? And as always, thank you all so much for listening. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking some time to talk with us today. First off, let's, uh, let's get a little introduction to you. What do you do? How did you get there? Will you, uh, will you fill us in with all these things?
1: Yeah, of course. So my name is Stephanie O'Brien. For those who don't know that, many of you, and uh, what do I do? That is actually more of a loaded question than one might think. So what I what I typically get paid for is being the director of Upward Bound at Harding University. It is a federally funded grant program which serves at-risk, first-generation, potentially lower-income high school students in White and Woodruff County, and we get them into college. And prior to that, I was the director of academic resources at Harding. I also adjunct general psychology at Harding on Monday nights, and I absolutely love it. 63 of the best students at Harding, for sure. (laughs) And I'm a licensed professional counselor. I have adjuncted in Harding's professional counseling program as well. Uh, for several years, um, I've led a group at Harding for girls who've been sexually assaulted and raped called SASSI, Sexually Assaulted Surviving Sisters United. Um, this year, I took a one-year reprieve from that and passed it off to somebody else, um, but that is something that I'm pretty passionate about and I've spoken a lot about, and then I also co-founded H.E. Grave, which is a Harding advocacy program for sexual assault and um sexual harassment on college campuses specifically at Harding yeah so I think that's a most of what I do I'm also on the missions committee at my church I go to downtown in searchi and mm-hmm. yeah that's it in a wow. nutshell
0: wow that is a ton of hats that's uh, that's <laughs> great I Stephanie and I first met in I want to say it was a geography class 2008 2009 yeah
1: 2008
0: 2008 uh, a geography class and then I was the the um, I was the graduate assistant for the history department, and uh, Stephanie was in and out of uh, of the office. And uh, you still get to keep up with some of those folks. We uh, before we started today, uh, we were talking about some of the folks that we still keep up with. Um, th- that's a that's a great group of folks, and it is I, I, I salt enjoy- of the earth. Uh, very <laughs> yes, very much so, and uh, uh, just a, a delightful uh, a delightful collection of folks to uh, to follow on Facebook too. I, I'm I feel like I know. As much of uh, Lori Klein's chickens, as, <laughs> as you're uh, so right, as somebody in Cersei, right? You know, like I, I think I could name two of them. Um, you're right. If, if I just guess, you know, names of famous first ladies, I think you I you are correct. I could get those, So, all right, Stephanie, you have worked with college students for yes. several years now in different capacities. You mentioned the Academic Resources Center. Um, Typically, the Academic Resources Center offers things like tutoring and other kinds of services. I think I worked uh, in that capacity as a tutor for um, for your predecessor, who was there, who was there around uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, or so. Doctor Bost. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I I didn't want to I didn't want to guess wrongly, but that's right. That's right. Um, and then you've also—I—I I had not even remembered that you were uh, th- that you were uh, an LPC, and I didn't—I don't think I knew that you had been teaching some uh, some general um, general psychology, is, is that what you said, general psychology classes. Yeah. All right, is that um, th- that's just basic introduction to psychology? You know, here's here's all the major theories, the major players over the last you know 200 years.
1: Uh, yeah. And it, it talks a lot about the science of psychology and sort of my scripture for that class comes from Psalm 139 about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is probably one of my favorite side gigs for sure. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's good to have a, a meaningful side gig. I, I'm a discipleship minister here at King's Crossing Church of Christ in Corpus Christi, Texas, but I also have a very meaningful side gig that I'm passionate about. I'm an adjunct professor of New Testament Greek at Harding School of Theology, my alma mater where I oh, got my God. Master's of Divinity, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. We've uh, These last three weeks, the guys have been on intensive course break and then spring break, and then they had their midterms, and so actually tomorrow, not tomorrow when this releases, but tomorrow as of the time of recording, I get to see these guys again for – um for the last, uh, for really, for the last half of the semester, and then, then they'll be gone. They'll have moved off to uh, to take Greek greetings with the Venerable <laughs> Richard Oster. <laughs> so, anyway, it, it, it's it's meaningful to have, or it's good to have something meaningful like that. Yeah. Stephanie, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about today, given all of your work and experience with college students, especially at a private Christian university like Harding, is is this. the 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 first question that i pitched to you when we were talking about all this was what are what are the main two to three issues you think that a christian college student at a private christian university faces what are the spiritual challenges that they in that they likely encounter i suspect it'll be different for state schools maybe maybe not there probably some overlap but i wanted to ask you and, um, and a handful of other folks. This is going to be a series of conversations related to this topic. But what are some of those main issues that, that they face?
1: Yeah. So um, I thought probably more about this question than I have a lot of the others because, well, quite frankly, it's hard to narrow it down to two to three things because <laughs> they're going to face a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so I have three pretty global answers. Okay, great. Um, The first one that really came to mind was honestly um, the student's own level of being just naive. And I think that there's this expectation in going to a Christian university for a lot of students, definitely not all, um, but for a lot of students that it is almost like going to like Christian camp on crack for four years. And they have this expectation of everyone being like kind and Barnabas-like and helpful and Christ-like. And unfortunately, even at a Christian university, that isn't the case. I Mm -hmm. think that is more the case at a Christian university than say a state school. However, I have seen, especially in my girls who've been sexually assaulted while at Harding, I have seen their level of just being naive about the world and about other people really end up being a physical hindrance to them but for sure a spiritual hindrance to them and a lot of our students have to reconcile okay you know I'm surrounded by all these people who like call themselves Christians but what does that actually mean because it may mean something extremely different than in your family and in your community and in your home congregation or in your school and I think so many of our students come here their freshman year and they are oftentimes just blindsided because they are encountering things that they've never encountered before. And I do think that most private schools are, I mean, I'm from Columbia, Missouri, for sure, a college town. There's three universities there, including the University of Missouri. Mm -hmm. And there's no comparison. However, to say that private Christian schools don't have parties or alcohol or drugs or sex would be naive and ignorant and I think it quickly becomes a stumbling block for a lot of our students especially our students who have never encountered a culture like that and a lot of our students who want to like for the first time feel a little bit of freedom and they just face plant And that leads into another one of my issues with a lot of these students. Um, My second one is that I think the generation now, more than even a decade ago, when you and I were in school and in graduate school, they crave and want, and in many ways need authenticity, like vulnerability, transparency, and they have these struggles, you know, like, drinking alcohol, experimenting, homosexuality, any kind of sexual sin, porn for sure. And they have all these questions and they want to talk about it. But at a lot of Christian universities, that level of authenticity is not readily available. And I think, um, you know, I've seen a lot of students really struggle to Respect and to trust a lot of the faculty and staff sometimes because they feel like it's superficial and they feel like they are stifled in their faith because they can't actually come out and talk about, you know, real world things that they're starting to struggle with because they're afraid of, you know, being ashamed about it and they're afraid of being judged or they're afraid sometimes of being kicked out. And so then these students just go to their peers a lot of the time and that. Doesn't often bode well. Um, Their a wisdom a lot of the time really does come with age, and they need to be able to talk to faculty and staff. Mm-hmm. But there's, I feel like that chasm is growing greater. You know, of course, there's amazing faculty who will sit and truly listen and walk alongside and mentor yeah. those students. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, I think there are groups of people who the students feel like aren't safe. And so they are experiencing all these things and they still feel like they can't talk about it. And that Mm -hmm. leads to a whole host of issues. And then my last one, and again, it's sort of a generational thing. I think that, and especially with the onset of social media and you may plan to talk to me about social media. I could talk about that for a very long time, Mm -hmm. but there is this sort of growing chasm that our students are facing because on one hand, Um, students, especially on social media have become a, we are becoming a world of extremes and I think younger generations, and I for sure see this in my high school students. So the students are going to be in college in a few years. They are no longer believing in absolute truth (laughs) and they, how do I say this? the level of critical thinking i feel like has diminished they get their news from things like TikTok and snapchat reels and instagram and the level of like critical thinking about the world and your place as a christian in it has become really jaded to be quite honest mm-hmm. and then when they come to college you know there is an expectation of critical thinking and anchoring yourself in the Lord. And if you have gone so much, if you're so influenced by social media and all of these other things, your capacity to think critically isn't always there. And I think a lot of our students have equated like social justice with Christianity. And I think a lot of our students have sort of unintentionally and with good intentions sort of become universalist in some ways. And so they have a huge spiritual reckoning of how can you love those who need to be loved and accept all people and love all people, but still be a carrier of the cross Mm -hmm. because culture says something very counter, you know, and, um, I think it's the first time for a lot of these students that they are having to decide for themselves what they believe. And, I think what they see on social media oftentimes has a lot stronger of a voice than what they hear in their Bible classes and what they hear at church. Especially if my second point is true, when they have a hard time respecting those speaking, because they can't vulnerably or authentically relate. Does that's that make the, sense?
0: That's the connection. Yeah, that's it. That, that I, I'm at a bit of a loss for words because you just dropped three pretty huge topics
1: sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't apologize for that there's no no absolutely nothing to apologize for um i am i i have i think i can understand maybe firsthand the need for transparency as a student which was goodness what are we in 2021 now um uh 15 plus years ago as a college student critical thinking skills i hadn't developed mine super well but i i, I eventually got there <laughs> in college eventually got there um and then yeah but actually drawing a connection there the people who should be teaching them right okay let's let's dig into numbers two and three and the connection between uh transparency and the critical thinking skills the people that that should ideally should be able to help these students grow in critical thinking skills and, and should be, you know, concurrently trustworthy folks have severed the potential for connection with these students because they're either unable or unwilling or untrained in how to be, transparent and authentic and create create the kinds of spaces necessary to talk about spiritual struggles, so then students are left with finding places where they think they're getting good answers, and that's on things like TikTok and Snapchat and other, have, have I accurately described the connection that you're presenting?
1: Yeah, I think you're a great listener.
0: <laughs> Thanks. I uh, I did have a counseling skills class in my MDiv. Ed Gray over there in Memphis. Very, yes. I, it was very useful for me to take that class the like the the semester before I got married because I learned how to listen. <laughs> Wait, <a laughs> uh, I the, the, I think that might have been providential that my schedule was set up that way. Um. Okay, Stephanie, let's talk about um, let's talk about this issue with transparency because I, I, I get it. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I heard the word authentic.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, buzzword.
0: <sighs> it, almost to the point where it just felt it felt like it meant nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it got overused. But let's talk about this word, you know, transparency or authentic or this idea of that. Envision, let's envision a, a Bible professor, okay? Not a particular one, just one in general because it I think it's at least reasonable to expect that a lot of these spiritual sh- issues would arise in a Bible class, not only not exclusively a Bible class. I mean you goodness you teach general psychology all right so I'm sure that they, they come up a lot there too. Oh yes but, but in a class like that, what what do you think would be an ideal outcome mm-hmm. if a student is expressing, a desire to talk about something like that, what what could happen that would make that process go much more smoothly and they could connect?
1: Right. Um, I will answer that by actually talking about my general side class. OK, great. A little example.
0: All
1: right. So I started teaching that class four years ago. And I wanted the students to be able to get to know me because I am a big believer in rapport. And I felt like when I was an undergrad as a like, history and political science major, um, my closest friends and confidants were the faculty, the history and political science faculty. Mm-hmm. And that's why I still have a relationship with them but it was because I truly got to know them. And I know that not all all students are going to sit in their professor's offices for hours and invest that time. And and as an adjunct, I don't have that time for students to come and sit in my office when typically I have 60 to 64 students every semester. Mm -hmm. So um, I started doing something called a take five. And in my class, students have to write three papers throughout the semester and they have 10 to choose from. So they get to write Um, something that they choose to be more passionate about which is great most of these papers are more on the vulnerable side and then some for those who are uncomfortable are more research-based so they can write like the role of social media and its effect on mental health the role of um, current events in politics its effect on mental health nature versus nurture more sterile topics but still relevant to Mm -hmm. psychology or students can write to me they can do uh an assignment that is outside of their comfort zone and then write to me about what it felt like to do that and what they experienced and processed through it. They can write to me about the five to seven things that have influenced who they are and made them who they are the most, sort of like a cultural genogram, like all these more vulnerable things. And I knew, I mean, I'm trained to know this, but I knew that if I sort of modeled for them what it's like, Uh, to be more vulnerable and transparent I hoped that students then in their papers would feel more comfortable to do so Mm -hmm. so I set an alarm the first five minutes of every class and I allow my students to ask me any question they want and it doesn't have to be about psychology they can I just gave them the permission to ask me any question. And the very first question I ever received was 4 years ago and the student asked me why I ended my engagement. It's a really vulnerable question. Wow. But I I answered it and I my goal was to basically model for them what it's like to acknowledge your mistakes and acknowledge your strengths and to process through trauma so they could actually see somebody who's done it, because I think another thing that gives me standing in this is that I wasn't raised in a Christian household. I have sexual assault and rape history. I am a survivor myself. And most people don't see um, Christians openly talking about those things that often and sharing their experiences and sharing the ways that the Lord was faithful and then sharing the times and the seasons in their life when things were really dark. So I knew that if the students ask questions um, I would be just completely vulnerable and honest about my own personal life and that makes has I think made all of the difference in every single semester I am blown away by what students write to me in their papers mm-hmm. I know that the three to four pages each times 60 I just cry the whole week that I'm grading them because they actually talk to me And they will write, you know, this last few weeks ago, the week before Harding's spring break, I had a student writing to me about, and it was like they're feeling like they had same-sex attraction. They had never talked about it. They like were afraid to turn in the paper, but my class on like my chapter five, which is um, sexuality and gender roles, like was really powerful and they got to like process that. And every semester I have students who divulge those kind of things. And then that leads yeah. to us spiritually getting to talk about it. And I have students who write to me about their own sexual assault history. And I think that because I'm willing to be really transparent and let them ask me anything, sometimes they'll ask like, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a whole lot easier to answer than right. all of the others, but they ask really hard hitting questions. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that, and they they do too, Um, and to me, if not just Bible faculty, but especially Bible faculty were willing, and maybe not take five minutes of class every day, because I know there's so much material to cover, my
0: class
1: is two and a half hours, not 50 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. But even like every Friday or once a week, just say, hey, what what questions do you all want to ask me? Because yes, like my students are there to learn psychology, but they are also my goal for them. Okay, academically, yes, I want them to learn, but I more importantly want them to grow more self-aware and more confident in who they are and whose they are. And I want them to know that they're not alone in their struggles and they can And my class is easy because it is psychology. It's very personal. Um, But I I want them to start thinking critically and to witness somebody thinking critically so then they can transplant that to their own life and go through their own stuff. And I I think that that I would love to see more of that, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah. Let me let me ask uh, quickly. Do you what kind of feedback do you are you able to give on some of these assignments? Do you talk do you talk just generally to the class about some of you answered these kinds of things or stuff like that? You know, how you mentioned modeling the the critical thinking, do you do that at, by way of feedback and, and do you do that in front of the class?
1: Um, for every single student who turns in a paper, I will always write a very long, sometimes a paper back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it takes me forever. <laughs> the grade, but mm-hmm. it's worth it to me because it's sort of like my side hustle and my side mission. I kind of feel like it's its own little mission field yeah. and I will always respond independently. A lot of the times I end up meeting with the student one-on-one, you know, midnight oil and just processing and extrapolating more of that. And then in addition to that, for themes that I'm seeing and patterns that I see, I always bring up in class and then we talk about it. And we have awesome class discussions, even when there's over 60 students. And um, some of the things, depending on what it is, I will bring up at large. And then some of the things, if it's more centered to a student, um, I will bring it up with them privately.
0: Yeah. I have found that it's very difficult to give substantive feedback on assignments and things like that. But I I think it's worth the hard work you know, and with with something as as uh, not nearly as maybe personal as general psychology like New Testament Greek is like elementary Greek, I do try to give pretty good feedback for uh, for them to help them kind of see it's like okay, you know all right you, you saw this verb, but it has this ending so it might not be this tense it might be this other thing. Um, let me ask this how, how have you seen your students heal? What kind of healing have you seen from from this trauma that they, that they express in these papers?
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting that my students are actually currently taking a test. They have four days to take their most recent test. It closes today at six. <laughs> and one of the questions that I ask, I always try to ask like two non-academic questions and one of the questions that I asked was, what is like one thing in this class that you have learned that has benefited your life? Because I, I want them to be taking what they've learned and applying it to their yeah. life, is mm-hmm. my goal. And one student, I've only graded five of the tests so far, but one of the tests that I graded, a student wrote like almost a whole page <laughs> about how she was so thankful to know that she wasn't alone. And I hear that all the time about being able to not just me in my class, but once I start opening up and sharing some of my experiences, a lot of the other students do too. And they can look around and say, wow, like I am not the only one struggling with this. I remember when I was a freshman at Harding in 2006, I legitimately spent most of my freshman year thinking I was like the only student who had been raped and Mm -hmm. the only student who'd been sexually assaulted. And like the only student who wasn't raised in a Christian household and the only student who all of these things. Yeah. And I was so spiritually crippling to me, to be quite honest. And I felt like I had like every expectation of coming to Harding and like, okay, I'm going to be surrounded by really great people who are not judgmental. And I had honestly never felt more judged in my life. Oh, <laughs> uh, horrible. And there were things <laughs> just that I was honestly ignorant to because I wasn't raised in the church, you know, and things that would be said. And, um, you know, it's supposed to be like easy points, like listing the books of the Bible supposed to be like buffer points in class. And I was like hardcore studying because I truly didn't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were even called the gospels. I didn't know the gospel meant good news. I only knew three songs my whole freshman year in chapel and, um, just little things, you know, of assumed knowledge and, I realize I'm definitely not the majority in that regard, but I remember how much I could exhale when I realized that there were others. Mm-hmm. And so and it didn't, in addition to my class being an academic class, I also want it to sort of be a place where people can look around and see that they're not alone. So I want there to be class discussion. I want to tell them about myself. And I think, you know, Satan has a lot of tools. I just imagine him being this entity, With like this tool belt and he has these tools and I feel like his favorite ones are secrets, shame and isolation and when you feel isolated feel like 2020 we all sort of felt that a little bit, but when you feel isolated in your struggles or in your story. um, That then can be so spiritually damning and when students can look around that is their sort of first beacon of light and where there is light there cannot be darkness and so that i love mm-hmm. and then that sort of is like what starts the snowball of true healing
0: yeah i i'm, I'm taking notes and i've got written down here satan's tool belt secrets mm-hmm. shame and isolation i'm envisioning like a a, a, a more sinister version of batman <laughs> that might, maybe that might cartoon uh, cartoonify him a little bit more but um when you said tool belt, that's what that's what yeah. came to mind. Um, let, let's talk about this for just a second. Secret shame and isolation. Is. Is transparency the way that we've been describing it, is that. Is that the antidote or is that the beginning of breaking secret shame and isolation is is that. Is that what you've seen in your experience in bringing spiritual healing to college students?
1: Yeah, and I think that's why I encourage it so much and try to model it so much to my students, my high school students, my college students, counseling students. I think that if we can actually speak it out loud, then it no longer can fester in our heart and our mind and our spirit. I mm-hmm. feel like wholeheartedly, we were created for a relationship. God himself is a Trinity, like is a relationship in and of himself as a being, mm-hmm. God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I think in relationship and in community, the way you build those relationships authentically is by being vulnerable. And in order to be vulnerable, you have to be transparent. We are not meant to navigate these hardships of life alone and we are not meant to carry that shame. I feel like guilt can be a good motivator, but I feel like shame is different than guilt. I feel like shame is a spiritual weapon for sure. And when our students are able to speak it out loud and then for it to be caught in a safe place and for someone to say, you know what? I can relate to that. Or I used to struggle with that too. Let me walk alongside you and show you how I overcame this mountain. I There's so much power there. And so I do feel like it is the catalyst to begin the healing process and to begin the edification process of it becoming something that is spiritually horrible to then something that is spiritually empowering. You know, one of the things Think of like, you know, in Genesis, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. All of these things and these struggles that I have had and these experiences that my students have had, they could just be horrible things. But, you know, before the podcast, we were talking about how Philippians is my favorite book. And it is my favorite book because Paul, who himself was a murderer of Christians, then becomes a Christian. And not only that, he is then imprisoned because of it. And that's a lot of traumas, a lot of big T traumas. But then he pins Philippians, which talks more about joy than any book in the Bible. And he talks about how what has happened to him has happened for his deliverance and it will serve to advance the gospel. And to me, that's so powerful because once you are able to speak it out loud, it can then provide hope and encouragement to other people. And that is so redeeming because it isn't just this horrible thing that was evil in your life. It can actually be something that gives light and hope to others. And I feel like that's quite literally why we are here, you know?
0: You mentioned part of the um, part of the problem. Or one of the issue, one of the big issues that a lot of college uh, Christian college students face is not having not having critical thinking skills very well developed. And one one thing that negatively affects that is the role is what social media. Uh, and maybe an unhealthy use of social media. That was another question that I had pitched to you earlier. Uh, what role does social media have in shaping the typical Christian college student's spirituality? You've given us a little hint of that. Do you have any more to say about that?
1: Oh yeah, I could write a book
0: on
1: this. <laughs> 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 maybe thoughts
0: Coming, um, all right, so, so this is this is going to be the impetus for the book. <laughs> I, maybe maybe I can write the forward or something.
1: I'm ready for it. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like social media is rapidly evolving, you know, and what was popular yesterday will not be popular tomorrow. And we're going to have something new and, and equally, if not more sinister. Uh, social media, I see the benefits. So I just have to get that out there. Sure. You know, I appreciate I've gone to Haiti seven times and I appreciate being able to keep up with my brothers and sisters there. And that is made readily available through Facebook. I'm thankful for that. I am thankful to see the updates of my friends and family that I don't get to speak with every day. I'm thankful to know the names of Mrs. Klein's chickens. However, <laughs> I, um, with all of that good, I think that I struggle with the litany of sins and mental emotional struggles that students are faced with and they have to grapple with because of just how readily available it is. So one of course like comparison and for both guys and girls the level of like insecurity self-image self-worth issues which how you view yourself in many ways is often portrayed in how you view God and so that's still really spiritually difficult and people just being so embarrassed or ashamed of who they are because they compare their lives all the time. You know, college students very much have FOMO nowadays, fear of missing out.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so
1: on social media, you know, you post the highlights of your life, um, but you don't often post the darkest days and you don't often post your struggles and you're not often transparent about what's really going on. And so people feel like, again, they're isolated and they're all alone. I also think that um, just the accessibility of porn I mean you can go on Instagram and type in a few words and have porn and yeah. I hate loathe and despise porn with an unparalleled passion mm-hmm. and have seen how crippling it can be, and not just to my male students, but to also my female students. But I've had harding students who are 19, 20, 21 years old, who already have erectile dysfunction, and it's because they've had a supreme porn addiction since they were 9, 10, 11 years old. And that's horrible. It's so uh, so upsetting because now they're in a serious relationship, they're getting engaged, and they know already and they're still youth that they have this problem, mm-hmm. but it's also become so normalized. And so I feel like social media, its biggest um, threat is just how it makes all of these really horrible things seem really wonderful. And it also the prevalence of them is so strong that it just seems normal. So that is where we have to have this reckoning of what it means to be a Christian and to be in this world, but not of it. But if everyone around you is looking at porn, it really does desensitize you. It also desensitizes you to the flaws of rape and sexual assault, and that statistically is 100% true. And I think it has sort of chipped away at some of the resolve of our students, you know? And it's the concept of creeping incrementalism, you know, that we learn in Lori Klein's public policy class is slowly you know, slowly over time so much that you don't even notice it. And I think this also has aided the inability of some of the older faculty and staff who didn't grow up with social media. There's always been problems and there's always been sin, but I feel like college students nowadays have a very unique problem and it's the first time we're seeing it because since they were very little they've had iphones in their hands and they've had this access that i I mean i didn't even have my first phone until i was 18 years old but this constant access and ready accessibility i feel like has put us into this almost like not just post-modernity but like a hyper modernity situation of there is no absolute truth and everything is relevant. Like like it all depends on your perspective and it just spiritually can get so frustrating. And even I, and I'm only 33 and six days, (laughs) like I am not too much older. Um, I have a hard time sometimes relating to the students because so much has changed in just the last decade. And I attribute much of that to social media and how quickly Um, It has taken over these students' lives. And it is one of the things that honestly makes me feel a little bit nauseated about the impact of 2020 and this isolation slash everything going virtual. Um, Don't even get me started on that. That's the other part of my book. But (laughs) um, it makes me nervous because students also just believe everything they read and see. And if it's a meme, it's true. And it's sort of like when you and I were students, Jared Dockery loath wikipedia you know because you could go in and put in anything you wanted um well this is that times of a bajillion, and that how do you fight that you know it can be so discouraging and make you really weary really
0: quickly yeah do you think that maybe one of the ways that we can fight that is to to start relearning how to cultivate genuine in-person friendships.
1: Absolutely. 100%. That is why from my upward bound, we have a summer academy and the students are Supposed to sort of like a college like simulation, and a lot of the Upward Bounds across the country this year are still going to do a virtual academy. There tell tell a, us
0: tell us just briefly about Upward Bound and, and what yeah. that is. I, I think we might have been talking about that before we started recording uh, for folks who, who aren't aware what Upward Bound is.
1: Yeah, so I serve 65 students across six high schools in White and Woodruff County in Arkansas.
0: There's a high school program, right? Yes, a
1: okay. federally funded high school program. High school students, these are students who have the academic propensity to go to college, but due to their like life situations, they may not have um, all of the chances of that because their parents haven't gone to college and these are lower income families. And so my whole job is taking these students, typically their freshman year, and myself and my staff walk alongside them throughout their whole high school experience, Help with tutoring and mentoring and ACT prep and paying for the ACT, all of those academic things. But then we also are very, our program at least is really holistic and we try to help them uh, think critically. And um, we provide counseling services and it's very helping them to become the very best version of themselves mm-hmm. and fill the gap that a lot of their parents either can't or won't fill. Yeah. yeah. So during the summer, um, our, my students 100% are going to be on Harding's campus yeah. and live in the dorms and be there face-to-face because already I have seen even their elevated social anxiety. They would much rather text, talk, like send each other memes, send each other Snapchats, make TikTok videos. But when we sit down face-to-face, a lot of them get really anxious, even maintaining eye contact. And that has been multiplied this last year when the, about a quarter of my students are going to school virtually because they all had that option. Mm-hmm. So I'm making them live on campus so that they can relearn what it means to be in true relationship with people. You know, I feel like our world, especially the last couple of years, has been one of extremes, and it's been so polarizing and I I need my students to sort of shuffle to the middle. They do not know how to disagree with people and still respect and love them. They do not know how to hold conversations that are vulnerable and intimate and face-to-face. They don't know boundaries, you know, and all of these things I can see becoming a major issue if we don't try to address it. And so I wish, you know, I could take all the, the youth in America or all of us could and just say, hey, You know, I love that you are passionate because it's a passionate group. High school students and college students, I feel like are so passionate and I want them to have a voice. They have a really important voice. However, they need to know how to compromise. They need to know how to communicate and they need to know how to think critically. My three C's that I literally just came up
0: with. Oh, run through those again really quickly. Those are great.
1: Compromise, communicate and think critically. Yeah.
0: We I can put that we can put that in the uh, in the uh, in the description uh, compromise communicate and think critically I like that that um, I have found this true to be I, I found this to be true in my life also and I'm 35 so I'm just I'm barely older than you and because uh, I started college in 2004 you said you started in 2006 is that right okay so yeah just barely older than you and uh, I've, I've have found sometimes that man, I would, I'd rather somebody just text me, you know, and may like, maybe that's not necessarily a sign of anxiety, but, um, you know, So sometimes it's simply all I need to know is this one bit of information right. and a phone call might be too, too much. Cause I'm doing something else. But if you text me day and time and what I need, I'm, I'm good. I'm there. But honestly, some of it is, I would rather, um, I'd rather not have uh, have to deal with a person. Um, I, I, I At least I remember feeling that way some a while ago. I distinctly remember going into some restaurant and thinking, I don't want to talk to this person. I'm, I might just order on my phone and then wait <laughs> and then wait and pick it up. Um, I feel that. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I haven't, I don't know why I hadn't thought about it as some kind of uh, social anxiety, but it definitely is that. And I can, man, I, I I pointed out this um, to my wife the other night, we went, um, we got a babysitter, the the boys were down uh, for bed, and we went out to a nice restaurant here in town. Uh, I think the second time that just she and I have been able to go out since we moved down here in August. So it's, I mean, it, it is what it is. Now, thankfully, we actually get time every night after the boys go down to bed. We can you know, watch you know, WandaVision or whatever it is that we're that we're going to plow through on Disney Plus or uh, or Amazon Prime. But um, I, I was noticing what appeared to be a couple two benches behind us, uh, behind my wife in front of me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And both of them were just sitting there. They were same side seaters, too. So that was already kind of awkward but both of them were on their phones yeah not not actually talking not really engaging and i just man, i just felt i felt so sad for them because they it, they were they obviously were willing to come and and you know shell out the money for for coming to the place that we came to and, and it it was just depressing mm-hmm. sitting there watching that and they look like they were older than college age. So I can't imagine then. Is, is, it, is, it, is it overkill to say that it's typical that college students struggle with this? Or, or, or is it just some? What do you think?
1: I think I don't think it's a college specific issue. I mean, I think we can all look around. And I know people in my old, own family who are much older and <laughs> just will sit there even in church on their phone. And yeah. drives me crazy. Um, but I feel like it is just the absolute norm in college students. And I serve five high schools. And so we're in these high schools, you know, in my two counties a lot. And there's only one of those six schools. Sorry, I serve six schools. Five of them allow the students to have their phones throughout the day. And there's only one that doesn't. And so these students will just sit there in class, like even in my psychology class, uh, students will just sit there, you know, and it. On their phones. Yeah, all the time. And, you know, at church, I'll look around and some people are just on their phone and they may have their Bible on their phone. So I always try to like give them that. Sure. Semblance of grace. But it is it is something that I feel like is a pretty chronic issue and it inhibits these relationships that we need. And it takes a whole lot more courage to speak you know, out loud than it is to write something, and mm-hmm. that can be that can be really detrimental. People, you know, on bullying on social media is horrible, 100% horrible, because people have a lot more courage to say whatever they want. They don't actually see the impact of their words face to face. You would never say half the things that you do on social media right. the space a lot of the time. You know, and that I have seen the downside of that as well, even at hardening mm-hmm. and the things that people say and um it's pretty sad, pretty hard. Yeah.
0: I feel like there's there's a ton more that we could uh, that we could get into. I do want to ask you about this because you had mentioned one of the one of the negative effects of social media um and it, how it was related to the prevalence of pornography. Mm-hmm. Uh you mentioned something about how it, uh, how being constantly around it um, wears away the students resolve. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that? Are, are, are you saying that?
1: Like the desensitization of it?
0: Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, I would love to talk about this. So in, in porn so often how things are portrayed, for instance, um some guy pursuing a girl and she keeps saying no but then in the end she ends up liking it the guy watches a story like that a lot he really does start to believe that when a woman says no she actually really wants it you know and that isn't the case and we see situations where it is sort of glamorized um like violence and bondage in sexual scenes and that know if that is the only thing a person can find pleasure in then in when they're in real life situations that's all that they really want and so i have unfortunately seen so many scenarios where a girl does say no and the guy doesn't believe her and he's been desensitized and i've seen situations where what A guy has to do with a girl is so extreme and honestly so brutal. He doesn't even get his sexual pleasure from her sexual pleasure. He gets her sexual pleasure from her being in pain and that on a cerebral level, I don't think he could recognize that until it's brought to his attention. But when you watch all of these pornographic scenes over and over again, I mean, how often is there actual consent? It's not there. You know, and consent, a person has to be conscious, they have to be willing, and they need to give affirmation. And those things aren't portrayed, but in real life, they're very necessary. And, you know, girls who watch porn that I've worked with, they compare themselves all the time. And they too become desensitized and feel like they're supposed to act a certain way or do a certain thing. Um, And it's, they... Also, it becomes so normalized that they don't see the joy and the beauty of waiting, you know, and Mm -hmm. they feel like it's just this flippant, casual thing and that it doesn't have spiritual and for sure emotional implications. And it really does. And I don't think that that's just some Christian lie that we say, even in my psychology textbook. Um, that isn't really written by Christian people. It's, it's the <laughs> psychology textbook. You know, yeah. it's not psychology textbooks for Church of Christ schools.
0: Right.
1: The psychology textbook. And even it talks about um, these issues and the longevity of marriages for those who wait and how it is longer. And there is a lot more marital satisfaction. And I think all of our students, not all, but for those who've really wrestled with porn. There are so many heinous, heinous things in this precious gift I feel like from God and meant for a covenant that become so normalized that they don't even know how to have a healthy relationship or even how to hope for a healthy relationship. And that, uh, there are so many, so many things that I've seen and think right now we're in a season in our culture where especially women want to feel like empowered and a part of that has become be like feeling sexually empowered and I, I obviously want women to feel like they have a voice and to be confident in who God created them yeah. to be but I think porn has really twisted what that means to actually be sexually empowered mm-hmm. um, and it uh, is just sort of this bomb that has dropped on so many of our students and because it is all over the world you know i have mm-hmm. students in my psychology class that don't think looking at porn is even bad because it's so normalized and it kills me because i'm like this is actually physiologically changing your neural pathways you know yeah. like yeah. you are going to have a really hard time being intimate with your spouse and married couples who look at it in order sort of to spice up their bedroom, and I know Christian married couples who do that, and I, I really struggle with that because I don't, it is something that our culture has just accepted, and I don't think they realize like how much Satan is using that to chip away at so many aspects of our life spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically.
0: Yeah, you mentioned earlier just sort of a general. Thing that a lot of college students deal with, at least the ones that you that you interact with on a regular basis, fear of missing out. I distinctly remember noticing that I didn't I didn't have that terminology for it back when I was in college, but I distinctly remember noticing how it was so frustrating to try to get folks to be able to to commit to you know doing something that was maybe maybe like two or three weeks down the road right. because. It always felt like they were holding out, maybe some better offer will come. And at a school like Harding, where there's a ton of things, I mean, if you wanted to, you could be involved in something that lasted an hour plus every night of the week. Yeah, I mean, and and like, you wouldn't even necessarily have to join a club to do that, because you could... um, it, you could very easily do intramural sports. You could do Bible studies. There's singing groups. There's, you know, groups for this, that and the other. There's all kinds of different things. And it's it's just fascinating how. how it really got to the point where. You're know, being afraid of missing out. Actually led you to miss out ah. on so many things, the irony. <laughs> yeah, ah. and. And then you also mentioned this too, that I, I thought was pretty fascinating because this is something that I've been that I've that I've been aware of for a while, but don't regularly have opportunities to talk about this kind of thing. Um, you just by nature of what I have been doing over the last several years, you mentioned how uh, with especially some of the uh, some of the, the college uh, females that you have been uh, that you've talked about with uh, and their their use of pornography and you mentioned how they think that this is how they need to behave in real life. One of the major problems with how a lot of really naive people, like how a lot of naive people, meaning in this instance, college students, going back to like the first thing that you said, like uh, the first challenge and like, you know, students own level of naivete. um, What a lot of them don't understand is that, pornography is acting it is acting Right. these um you know what you're watching is sometimes a, a you know pretty low quality acting but it's it's still acting and so it's absurd for you to think for you meaning college student who's using this looking as, at this as some kind of um some kind of metric for for what you're for what you hope your marriage relationship or dating relationship or, or casual hookup is going to be like, it, it's absolutely absurd to think that because it's, it's all it's, it's acting it's pretending it's, you know, this is this is not real life.
1: Yeah. The irony of students looking at that and thinking that it is realistic compared to their craving for authenticity is amazing. Like yeah. the cognitive dissonance there. And that's why I say that there's such a lack of critical thinking all the time. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm, I want to ask you one more thing about this. There are three other questions <laughs> that I, I don't know that we will be able to get to today. Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're big questions. And so it, I, I will leave it up to you. Okay. If we can do a part two of this, I'd love to. And then we can we can talk logistics and details later. But I wanted to ask another thing related to this issue, because I think it is so worthwhile to bring up Mm -hmm. Um, one of my best friends from college and I went to what I thought was supposed to be a very, a very big deal at Harding. I want to say it was sometime around 2009, 2010, somewhere in there because I, I think I was in grad school there at the time and he was either a junior or senior um <clears throat> there was some seminar that they did or some presentation on pornography and overcoming sexual addiction and things like that and it was in the admin auditorium there um on I campus okay all right so you you might remember this i walked away from that feeling very disappointed because what um, what it felt like one of the presenters, and I couldn't even tell you their name. I, it, that was 10 years ago. I couldn't I can't remember their name, but I felt like one of the presenters, basically what he was trying to do was gross us out by talking about some of the some of the disturbing trends and in, in what was getting popular in pornography because i don't want this to be i don't don't want to tag this as explicit on youtube or anything i won't go into any of the details about the stuff that he was talking about but i remember thinking to him like i remember thinking and actually telling my friend at the time um that's not this like you know okay we both we both didn't like the fact that we you know occasionally looked at porn and i i remember telling him that's not the stuff that i'm looking at like that doesn't that yeah that's gross and like those things are gross but it felt like largely at least the part of that seminar that i attended was very unhelpful is there a, what what would be the be- what would be a, maybe a better way rather than trying to say hey yeah you know, this is all you know here's what here's what gross things they're doing in porn these days Mm-hmm. what would actually be a better way do you think of of encouraging students and maybe we can kind yeah. of wrap up with this
1: yeah i i prefer a multifaceted approach and this is why you know what how we all think and how we are all motivated as human beings is really different some people are very like logical rational people and so for them being educated on this physiologically is, this is how it's changing your brain. You -hmm. know, you are creating new neural pathways when it's affecting your level of intimacy. These are the statistics you need to know, like scientifically this is what's happening and to be aware in an educational kind of way. I think other people need to hear, um, you know, there are a lot more motivated By the future and talking about how it is going to hinder intimacy with your spouse, you know, and how it it will, and relationship oriented, and they need to have a realistic educational conversation of like, this this is the impact for you as a human being and the potential impact for you, um, for other people. So, for instance, you know, I've actually never. Had an issue with porn, and I praise God for that. I've had yeah. other stumbling blocks, that just hasn't been one of them. But I have dated. I've had three like very serious multi-year um, relationships, and all three of the men that I've dated, um, to some some very little, some a lot more, did struggle with porn to some extent. And I think, definitely not all the time, but even occasionally, even if it was like once every few months, I would take that really personally, you know, I like hated it. It almost felt like adultery to me to be quite honest. And I think some people need to hear and talk about just the emotional side. And then other people I feel like are more outward focused and they need to hear about um, even just the statistics on human trafficking and how a lot of these people in these films are not actually actors and actresses. They are people who are being human trafficked. And they, they're not very good at self-reflecting and like being vulnerable and thinking about themselves, but when they think about other people and how it fuels the human trafficking industry, that is enough to make them stop. You know, so I have, in my having conversations with students, both male and female on this topic, I really try to figure out what motivates that student and utilize that and then educate them, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. The one of the things that has helped me with uh counseling for a a totally different like for a totally unrelated unrelated thing um when when quarantine hit this time last year it was it it was new and very different and challenging for a lot of folks Mm -hmm. and um like i i i was i was having a very hard time adjusting and so i I called up uh, my old counseling professor from uh, from Memphis, and uh, you know, sat a few sessions with him. talking, you know, like how how do I deal, how do I deal with everything that I'm thinking and feeling right now? How do I not take out my anxiety on my family? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talked about was really the formation of of habits. You know, when when I feel X, I react Y. And it's, it's probably rooted in, you know, how, you know, some of these things that might be underlying in the, under the surface.
1: Right.
0: I've got a, a, a professor friend of mine, uh, there in Circe with you, uh, Dr. Justin Bland, um, professor of exercise science. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he routinely talks about in his basic wellness class about uh, this kind of thing about, um, about neuroplasticity and how you know how our, our pathways you know, get changed. And basically what all, that's a very scientific way of describing how habits get formed. And habits get formed when when your boss says something in a certain tone and you react in a certain way, or when your spouse or when your child or a friend or coworker sexually that's applicable as well and and not just you know not just with a boss or you know sexually with a spouse or a partner but you know in like there's so many ways in in which that kind of uh, that kind of habit forming happens knowing that was was just mind-boggling for me because i i began to see Oh, if that's true in this area and in this area, man, where else is that true? You know, mm-hmm. it isn't that true in a lot of other areas as well. And that was, that was actually pretty valuable for me to see kind of how, how I form spiritual habits. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Funny that you bring that up. And last year being the catalyst for that, because for my Upward Bound students, by the end of March, we had, we gave them all like a habit tracker. So things that they did every, like they wanted to do every single day. And we did sort of like a collective group challenge of who could mark off their habit tracker for the next whole month, because Mm -hmm. it's important. And that is a part of, I feel like sustainability, not just in a physical way and in an emotional way and in a relation way, relational way, but for sure in a spiritual way.
0: Yeah. Stephanie, I really appreciate your time with us this morning. I, I have learned a lot. I have, um, I, I have been saddened by getting by knowing some of these things. I have a nephew in college, and another one who's uh, who's headed there uh, in a couple of years. And um, I mean, they're they're good guys, and I and I think that they will do well. But uh, they are also human, and um, you know, we have students here at the church that I work with that are going into college uh you know i have friends um there in college uh, in um in jersey with you and it's it's definitely definitely something that that that's a group of people that we don't need to um that we don't need to dis- dismiss i think in a lot of ways college students these days especially in the circles that i run in a lot of college students get a bad rap because they um because a lot of folks believe a stereotype about colleges and universities, especially state schools, and you know, you know, we're just turning out, you know, folks who want to change the world, but they, you know, they're inept to change their own beds, you know, change their own clothes, and stuff like that. Um, maybe that's always kind of been true of college students, but I, th- I think that there is some hope.
1: Oh, I think there's a lot more than some. <laughs> I know that this was a little discouraging, but I, I do. I think one of the questions we were going to ask me was about like the positive thing. So maybe we can get to that next time. Yeah, like, that what? was question
0: three. three. We made yeah. it through questions one and two, and I have okay.
1: five.
0: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Stephanie, I appreciate your uh, willingness to talk about this. Uh, hopefully we can, uh, can have a part two of this and uh, this conversation and we can maybe offer some hope or like you said, more than some, maybe yeah. we can offer yeah. quite a bit of hope for uh for churches and uh, Christian college students, meaning, you know, college age students who are Christians and uh, and maybe even find some ways that adults can, uh, can help their uh, Christian college age students um, grow and mature. So, Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate your time and we will uh, talk to you again soon, okay?